You're listening to Earshot from WXXI News. I'm Veronica Volk. This week, the pandemic motivates some people in Rochester to completely change the course of their lives. I don't want my story to end unremarkably. And New York State is mandating vaccinations for its workers, including state-run hospitals. The frontline workers must be vaccinated, period. Plus, a local forest ranger talks about his experience battling the wildfires out west. Quite a mix of people that that come together and, and fight these fires. All that from your local news podcast, Earshot. For a lot of us, the last year will forever be associated with loss and pain. But for some, 2020 was a turning point towards something different, something better. It was a point when some people recognized they needed a change. My colleague Beth Adams has spoken to a few of these folks, people who are shaking up their jobs, their goals, their whole lives, really. The first person she talked to was a Rochester musician who's ready for a new adventure. Beth Adams has this story. The first thing you notice when you walk into Avis Reese's house is her grand piano. The Steinway dominates the dining room. I asked her to play anything that moved her at the moment. Do you sing to or just play? I do, but I'm probably not have to. <laughs> <laughs> um. I have been playing I was a kid, I think probably when I was 10. That's actually a song I wrote. It's called The Loss of Meaning. Avis composed this song a few years ago for a friend who was going through a tough time. 2020 brought loss to her own life with several family members dying during the pandemic. It shifted her perspective and now she wants to break out of some old habits. She's craving adventure. And I kind of felt like myself getting in that space where I'm feeling too comfortable and I'm not taking risks and I'm not, I don't feel like I'm growing personally. Avis plays the keyboard for Daniel Ponder in The Tomorrow People. She doesn't have anything against Rochester. It's been her home for 34 years, but she wants to find out what will happen if she's forced to make it on her own in a new place. She says the pandemic taught her the risk is worth it because anything can change at any moment. We had music taken away from us for, you know, a whole year and life felt very aimless and, you know, very hopeless. And so this year is just about just like having experiences, you know, like because nothing's promised, nothing's guaranteed. So why like put it off for another 10 years or whatever, just just do it now. Avis has mapped out a 10-month journey. She'll spend August in Washington, D.C., and then move to another city each month. Her tentative route takes her from Philadelphia to Chicago, Memphis, New Orleans, Austin, Los Angeles, Portland, Seattle, and finally, Minneapolis. So I wanted to really hit up like a lot of music cities. Instead of agreeing to a year-long lease in L.A., Why not just book a bunch of Airbnbs that's the same amount that I would be paying in rent and experiment with different cities to see which one I may like. She sold her house and is getting ready to pack up her Dodge SUV. 
Everything you own is going to fit in here. <laughs> we shall see. <laughs> so it's only going to be my three keyboards. And I have these um, huge like storage bags for clothes. I have Avis plans on supporting herself so with music gigs. She's already booked for some weddings in D.C. and says she'll make a quick stop back in Rochester from time to time to perform with Daniel Ponder. Beyond that, she's okay with not having an agenda. It's just nice to like do something a little more risky and not really have a plan and not really know how it's going to turn out. But I just feel deep down inside that it's going to turn out great. She says the journey isn't about finding herself. She already knows who she is. But when she lost a few family members to COVID-19 and two young band members in the years leading up to the pandemic, it made her reevaluate her own life. I definitely think that those losses are huge factors for me because I don't want my story to end unremarkably. I want to add some add some remarkable things to my story. And, you know, if, if I end up going, there's a whole list of things that people can say that she did, that she experienced it and she loved it. Beth Adams is the host of Morning Edition for WXXI News. And this story is part of a series we're calling Reboot. You can find other stories about people changing their lives post-pandemic on our website, wxxinews.org. Hi, this is Evan Dawson from WXXI, and if you're enjoying Earshot, then you'll want to subscribe to our other podcast, Connections with Evan Dawson. That's me. On the podcast, you can catch up on discussions about current events, arts, politics, and interesting people. Subscribe to Connections with Evan Dawson, where you subscribe to Earshot from WXXI News. The Delta variant is driving COVID-19 cases back up in New York State. So this week, Governor Andrew Cuomo announced he's going to mandate that frontline workers in state hospitals be vaccinated against COVID. He also said all other state workers either have to be vaccinated or subject to weekly testing. But he drew the line at imposing new mask mandates, even though the CDC is recommending masks indoors again in areas where the virus is spreading. Our state capital correspondent, Karen DeWitt, has this story. Cuomo says the nearly 100,000 state workers will have to show proof of vaccinations by early September or submit to weekly COVID tests. Frontline workers at state-run hospitals will also have to be fully vaccinated, but they will not have the option of weekly testing instead. We're saying in state hospitals where the state is the employer, the frontline workers must be vaccinated, period not vaccinated or you have to have a test once a week. The announcement follows decisions by New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio, who is requiring all city workers to be vaccinated, and by California Governor Gavin Newsom. He's mandating that all state workers and employees of public and private sector hospitals in that state get their shot. 
Cuomo says because none of the vaccines have yet received full approval from the FDA, it's not legally possible to widen vaccination mandates right now. The law only allows employers to enact vaccine requirements for their workers. The governor, speaking to a New York City business group, urged companies to require vaccines for their employees. Despite growing concerns over the rise of the Delta variant and incidences of breakthrough infections in fully vaccinated people, Cuomo says businesses should require that all of their workers return to in-person work in their offices in September. He says it will help boost the city's and the state's economy. By Labor Day, everyone is back in the office. We need that volume to support the restaurants and the shops and the services. Uh, It's not just about your business. It's about all the spinoff economic activity that your workers bring to the surrounding community. The governor is not imposing any new statewide mask mandates right now, but he urged localities where there is a high rate of spread of the virus to impose local mask mandates. And he says his administration is doing a full review of its mask policies now that the CDC has altered its recommendations. He's also urging schools to consider reinstating mask mandates for teachers and students, a step now recommended by the CDC. Cuomo says schools, when they open in the fall, have the potential to become super spreader sites. He says school districts have the legal authority to require that teachers and all other workers be vaccinated. And he says schools may have to take more dramatic actions if the situation worsens. Karen DeWitt is Capitol Bureau Chief for New York State Public Radio. Finally, in southwest Oregon, firefighters have been battling the third largest wildfire in the state's history. It's called the Bootleg Fire, and it's so big, its smoke has cast a shadow across the whole country. A few New York State forest rangers have been sent to help get it under control. Timothy Carpenter is a ranger from Steuben County, and he just returned from a two-week deployment to the 400,000-acre wildfire. My colleague Noel Evans spoke to him about his experience there. Now, I understand that you're assisting efforts to extinguish the bootleg fire in Oregon. What were you seeing and smelling and hearing as you were there? Well, being on night shift, it's, you know, your, your situational awareness is not as sharp as it would be during the day because you're very limited on what you can see. So that, that brings in a whole other set of safety concerns. Fires are very dirty and dusty. So the soil out there is like a, a, a ground pumice, so it's very fine. So, you know, dust gets everywhere. So if you're driving down the road um, and somebody passes you or you're trying to follow somebody, visibility is, is terrible. And, you know, being on the line, we were, we were doing a lot of work with bulldozers. So that's another whole set of safety issues when you have a, a large piece of heavy equipment like that pushing over trees. Um, you know, cutting lines into the ground. Could you explain a bit about just, yeah, the mechanics of actually putting out such a massive fire? Yeah, so what, what we do is um, you try to starve the fire of its fuel. All right, so like a regular fire, structural firefighter, they try to starve the fire of its heat. They want to they put as much water on that fire as they can to try to put the fire out. 
when you have miles and miles of uncontrolled fire line or fire edge, that's, that's not feasible. So what we do is we create these uh, fire breaks or control lines where we, we cut a line into the, into the ground and remove all the burnable fuel from that area. So when the fire edge, fire burns up to that control line, there's nothing else for it to burn. It's just mineral soil and it, it puts itself out. What resources were available for, for you all? And was there anything that you think was needed um, based on your experience? You know, being working for a type one team, they, they tend to get a lot of the resources that they need. Um, unfortunately, with the, the uptick in fires across the whole country, um, resources were, I won't say they were spread thin, but they weren't as available as, as you might think, simply because there was so many fires going on um, at the same time. Hmm. Now, I understand that you were joined with about 2,000 agencies. What were other people doing? And do you have any sense of how many for, from other states or were from uh, the federal level? As far as other personnel, really, it's, it's, a, um, it's a mix of everybody throughout the whole United States. I mean, I, on, on the, some of the other safety officers that were there when I was there uh, were from Alabama, from Georgia, um, from Washington, um, really, it's, it's it's quite a mix of people that that come together and, and fight these fires. Now, uh, is there anything else that you'd like to add that we might not have touched on? Any reflections that you'd like to share? You know, we not, we may not get four hundred thousand acre fires here in New York, but the the experience that the Rangers get and the other staff that are sent out that that is knowledge that we bring back to the state that helps us manage our incidents here in New York. Noelle Evans is a reporter for WXXI News. You've been listening to Earshot, and we want to know, what are the stories you are thinking about? What are you talking about in your community? Let us know how we're doing and drop us a line at earshot at wxxi.org. And be sure to subscribe to this podcast to keep up to date on local news. Find even more on our website, wxxinews.org. Music this week from Blue Dot Sessions and Poddington Bear and Avis Reese. I'm Veronica Volk. Thanks for listening. This program is a production of member-supported WXXI Public Broadcasting, Rochester, New York.